In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, this is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. (laughs) All right, welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. That's Marcus Parks. Last week, we celebrated July 4th, and then we immediately um, had fireworks of a different kind. Not simulated fireworks. No. Uh, Very sad, tragic events. Uh, Alton Sterling, of course, you guys all know this story. He was a, a man selling CDs outside of a Louisiana convenience store. I don't know what kind of CDs, perhaps NSYNC or, uh, you know, uh, Backstreet Boys. They always are coming back. He was uh, selling CDs. He uh, got into a confrontation with a fellow who was homeless. Uh, apparently the man, the homeless man said that uh, Sterling showed him a gun to uh, to stop him from pestering him. And uh, the homeless man went and called the police. Uh, the two officers that showed up. Uh, they reacted in a very aggressive manner. They did not de-escalate the situation. A lot of times we're seeing in these police shootings um, officers uh, escalating the situation to theoretically prevent further violence, right, and to get a hold of um, of events so that they have to control. The two officers, Blaine Salamone and Howie Lake the second, uh, they pinned down uh, Alton Sterling and... Uh, one shouted that he had a gun. The officer pulled out his gun, and uh, he was shot, I believe, six times, two in the front, four in the back. Okay. Uh, then we had another situation happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with a fellow, Philando uh, Castile, who an officer pulled over because the woman that was driving the car had a broken taillight on her car. He also matched the description of a robbery su- uh, suspect. The description was extremely vague. I believe, Marcus, you said it was an exact quote. They were looking for an African-American man with a large nose. Uh, uh, he, uh, the uh, cops said, and this is from the police scanner, said, he has a broad nose. He's got a broad nose. <laughs> like like the suspect. Right. And, of course, he was then, uh, he, he told uh, Officer Geronimo Yanez, who came and uh, came over to the car, he told that officer that he had the right to conceal and carry. He was concealing and carrying at the time, which is not against Minnesota law whatsoever. We're going to get into the larger issue of guns uh, here coming up in the show because all of these incidences uh, that happened over the weekend have one thing in common, and certainly that is firearms. So the officer uh, then requested uh, Philando give him his ID. And, of course, you tend to keep your ID in your wallet, which uh, in your pocket, uh, which would possibly be next to a concealed firearm. Right. The officer overreacted and uh, and shot uh, Philando. And uh, that was, of course, all captured on Facebook Live in one of the most disheartening and saddest Facebook Lives of all time. Uh, I believe it's safe to say. Yeah. And what an interesting time we're living in where we get to see. Um, you know, 
documentation of police and uh, civilian interactions in real time. Uh, you know, even going back to what happened um, with the uh, b- before the L.A. riots. So this is a long history of police violence being recorded by populations that uh, feel over-policed and many times um, are over-policed because the police have become an extension of the tax. And we're going to get into also the militarization of the police, uh, which began in the early 90s. Um, so it was captured on Facebook Live. Uh, there was a lot of anger in the, in the uh, all around the country, all around the world. I mean, you see these things in real time. It's as if we were the four-year-old child screaming in the backseat. You know, we were right along with that kid wondering what the hell is going on. Protests were uh, protests were planned and protests went uh, they, they, they went on. And of course, uh, what happened in Dallas the following day was truly horrific. A peaceful protest protected by officers. And I think this can't be understated enough. These officers were protecting protesters who were protesting them, mm-hmm. which is a uh, which is something that is a very bizarre request to have somebody to ask somebody to do, you know. And uh, so these heroes and I say that um, because not because of the tragic events, but officers who do protect protesters who are protesting them are heroic in a sense because they are not uh, putting their own. They are putting them they're, they're putting themselves in harm's way, and they're also understanding that the people that they are protecting aren't really fans of them. Yeah. So what happened in Dallas, five officers were killed by Micah Xavier Johnson. Uh, The five officers were uh, Michael Smith, Michael Kroll, Patrick Samaripa, Brent Thompson, and Lauren Ahrens. Uh, This man, uh, Micah Xavier Johnson, had former military training. He served uh, the U.S. military in Afghanistan, and uh, when... The news began covering this event. They made it seem as if there were as many as five snipers uh, in elevated positions, uh, just targeting police in in, uh, the most precise possible way. It turns out it was one person, Xavier Johnson. And Marcus, we have a little bit more information now that's coming out about this individual. He was a black separatist. He does not identify with the Black Lives Matters movement. As a matter of fact, he doesn't believe that that movement goes far enough. He is a uh, which is very bizarre because we do live in such a diverse nation. Ironically enough, his stepmother was white, you know, so he he definitely got hardened and he became hardened because of these videos that we've seen time and time and time again of the over policing and uh, the um, the overreaction by cops, because we do live in a militarized society, both via cops and uh, with our civilians. You know, there was two point one million guns sold in 2016 in June alone. Okay, so we, we have many, there are so many arms on the streets that officers, you could argue what came first, and we'll be, we will be dis- discussing that. I mean, as of 1992, uh, NYPD officers were still using a six-shooter, and then uh, they realized that they were confronting people on the streets that had Glocks. So in 93, they upgraded to Glocks. So what came first is up uh, for debate. So he shot five officers, he murdered them, and... Uh, in a um, in a bizarre twist to the uh, events, he ended up being killed for the first time, I believe for the first time in recorded history, by a police robot. They gave him, what was it, one pound of... C4. Of C4. The robot exploded the, the C4 and, uh, and murdered the suspect. And a lot of people have been asking serious questions about what does that mean going further? What does that mean in the future? Are robots going to be deputized? Are they going to allow? Are they? I mean, there's already people in the EU that want to give robots a, a status of personhood to some degree. So I think people are feeling a real sense of worry and concern, discuss when specifically when it comes to technology and how much power we will be willing to give over to these technologies under the guise of public safety. Mm-hmm. So that brings us uh, to right now, 
And uh, it has been a uh, interesting spectacle to watch from the media perspective. There are a lot of people who are taking these events and using them for their own personal gain. And they've been trying to divide the nation. It is so obvious and it's so blatant. And I know that you guys listening, you gals listening, are smart enough to rise above the heated rhetoric that are coming from all sides right now. Very few people are speaking rationally about this. Every single one of these isolated incidences are tragedies and they're sad. Um, and uh, none, no one is ever going to call, no, one, no rational person is ever going to call or want more violence to happen because it is not a positive way to get your message across. And I guarantee you one of the major losers uh, after these week's events, after last week's events, are the movements like Black Lives Matter, you know, people who want to have prison reform in this nation, people who want to go back to a world where the police are there to protect communities and not there to pilfer communities for cash. You know, you have what happened in Ferguson, where there was a massive amount of money. I believe it was roughly half of the entire city was funded by cops ticketing civilians, which is never that was never supposed to be the point of a police force. So really what happened, the the irony of what uh, Xavier Johnson uh, did was he hurt his cause so dramatically. I don't know if we're going to go back to a time. It'll be years before we can go back to having a rational conversation again about what, uh, how our police forces should should be interacting with communities. Well, what you've got now, as far as the media goes, when you talk about the uh, division, uh, the most disgusting as far as uh, what's been happening out there, I think, was the Drudge Report. Uh, Drudge Report, day after the Dallas sniper shootings, big headline, Black Lives Kill. Right. And that's, I think, what these people are going to have to deal with now. That's what Black Lives Matter has to deal with now. And that's an extremely sad thing. Of course, I don't agree with everything that Black Lives Matter says. I agree, definitely agree with the sentiment, but I don't necessarily agree with everything they do. But I believe they're an important organization that absolutely should exist in this country. And they absolutely do not deserve to be associated with this Micah Xavier fella. And of course, again, he did not associate with the Black Lives Matters movement whatsoever. In 1971, when Richard Nixon put in place the war on drugs, this that was the beginning of a new civil war in this country. Country. And there is no denying that the term war, the use of the word war, was a total mistake. And it never should have been used in the context of domestic policing. The idea that war, the war on drugs, just that term, is so unbelievably inflammatory. And it leads to such a division between us and them, them being the police, us being civilians. It puts into a, a it gives cops a militarized mentality that they are fighting the people that theoretically, again, they were supposed to protect. So all of this goes back to the 1970 war on drugs in my 71 uh, declaration of the war on drugs, in my personal opinion. We were talking a little bit about the early 90s uh, when the police began to become militarized. There was a bill that was passed. It was called the National Defense uh, Authorization Act. And in Section 1208, it basically allows for the Secretary of Defense to transfer to federal and state agencies personal property of the Department of Defense Uh, of the Department of Defense, including small arms and ammunition that the secretary determines is a suitable for use by agencies in counter drug activities, going back to the war on drugs as the main excuse. And obviously in the early 90s, the drugs trained to terrorism. It changed. Uh, It was no longer a war on drugs. It was it was a war 
on terrorism. B, excess to the needs of the Department of Defense. So basically, the defense had a surplus of tanks and uh, military goods because no politician for the longest time wanted to... uh, be portrayed as weak on defense mm-hmm. or not not funding the government because we live in an era of 30 second attack ads now we live in an era of vine attack ads but back then they gave they had a little bit more breath you know they thought they knew the attention span was about 30 seconds and they knew that they would be run through the muck and completely unseated and taken out of office if they did not fund what they believe people wanted, which was the strong military, even regardless of the fact, regardless of the fact if the military requested tanks, requested new guns or requested new planes, oftentimes the military says, we have enough, we're totally fine, and they'll still get things. Yeah, and uh, given it, to them, and we saw this. And uh, the great irony of that is that once we actually got into a war in Iraq and Afghanistan, we didn't have enough money to give our soldiers body armor. Right. The back in the 1990s, it says that uh, they gave away 4.3 billion dollars in equipment to you know the police force that are supposed to protect civilians. Right. And so you have a situation now where the police forces are buying from the United States military. They made roughly 4.3 billion dollars in the past um, year. And you have a situation where if police forces don't re-up, if they don't spend all of the money that they are given, uh, then they don't, then they get a budget cut. So naturally you want to spend everything that you have so then your, your budget is the same, if not larger, the year after. So we have a situation where police are going into, uh, you know, into these events with a militarized mind, and then we have a situation where the population is also unbelievably heavily armed. It's leading to this, and we talked about it a little bit on previous episodes, what mutually assured destruction was in the Civil War between the Russians and the United States. We both had nukes aimed at one another, and no one wanted to get rid of the nukes because whoever blinked first would lose, as if it's some bizarre old-timey western so you have a situation where everybody is armed the police are completely militarized the population completely militarized and there's a mutually assured destruction notion where no one wants to disarm because they don't believe the other ones will so you have these cops going into this with a mentality of um of 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 extreme like we said earlier in the show escalation in order to ironically de-escalate the situation get control of the situation and no point did it look like Alton Sterling was being aggressive towards the officers uh the the convenience store um owner he allowed Alton Sterling to be selling the CDs outside of his business um, said that he knew him for six years and there wasn't a single right. altercation. And of course, the character assassination that went into um, not only the, the physical assassination, which is the, the saddest part of the Sterling case, uh, but then the character assassination following it is very common in these events where he did have a criminal record. He apparently he had sex with a 17 year old, but they failed to mention that that 17 year old woman was now the wife or the mother of his children. Yeah. Uh, and he was 22. I mean, this is a very uh, that's a very thin line. Oh, that's nothing. That's absolutely nothing. It's not that it's not just common. It is almost essential to the process. Right. Is that every time that somebody is uh, every time that a person is killed, a black person person is killed by the cops, the media immediately trots out. 
every single bad thing that that person has ever done, as absolutely. if that somehow justifies it. And to right. some people, it does. Right. It absolutely does. And if if I was murdered today by police um, because of my skin color, I don't believe the media reports would immediately try to find a reason for them to do it. No. You know, I think the media would give me a little bit more of a chance uh, to have, um, they would not start the public mudslinging so quickly. And if you wanted to do that with me, you certainly could. Yeah. Peeing in public, <laughs> open intoxication, <laughs> drinking and driving, shitting on cars. You know, I never got arrested for that, and so we're, we will scr- we will scratch that from the record. Uh, that did I did not do that. Scratch that from the record, indeed. Only very nice ones. If I did it, this is my OJ. If I did it moment, but I'm not a quite as I'm not a I'm not a double murderer. <laughs> yeah, but it's possible we had some revenge on the upper class. <laughs> Possibly. So Sterling was, his name was immediately um, destroyed in, in an attempt to make it seem as if he deserved to die, or at the very least, his death wasn't quite as sad. His life didn't matter quite as much because he had previous records with the previous run ins with the law. And we know, again, going back to the police as the extension of the tax, going back to these over policed communities, you get a rap sheet immediately. People talk about the system. I'm in the system. The system is flawed. And a lot of times people will scoff. You know, the system's flawed. No, you messed up. You made a mistake. Once you do get into the system, once you become a parolee, or, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you get under house arrest or whatever it might be, if you are, what, what's the, um, uh, not house arrest. It's uh, you go to you halfway go to, house. No, not a halfway house. You're under five. You, you spend time in prison. Then five years later, you're still under probation. Probation. You have something like probation where, um, you know, the, the nuances of your probation are so strict. I mean, it really is another form of arrest. It is not nearly as easy as people make it out to seem uh, specifically for communities that might not have the best means of transportation or whatever it might be. Yeah. And of course, in these communities, since they are definitely more policed than, say, like certain upper class or white communities, stuff that me and you got away with pretty easily when we were kids. Right. Uh, the kids that are in these other neighborhoods that are acting in the exact same manner, you know, acting in accordance with human nature, dumb teenagers, right. they get those rap sheets immediately. Uh, and yes. that rap sheet follows them throughout their entire life. Absolutely. And there's no denying that slavery did just transfer over to the prison industrial complex. That is a that is extremely factual. Blacks are four times more likely uh, than whites to be stopped for petty drug offenses and things like that. So Even going, though we use drugs at a higher rate than they yeah, do. Yeah, we're pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, no one is saying we're not hip to the whatever. Yes, no doubt. Um, so that's Sterling's situation. Sad, on its face. Everyone was upset. Many people were upset. But you did have this narrative that was coming out and spreading amongst certain news outlets, specifically conservative news outlets. The guy was a bad guy. He had a gun. You never know. There is this there is still this idea that Hillary Clinton put into our minds in the early 90s in 1994 with the crime bill. Super predator. Almost like almost like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting the predator, this superhuman beast who has the ability to uh, camouflage themselves and then hide in, in, in plain sight. You know, people who are um, who should be feared. I mean, it goes back to the first major motion picture of all time, Birth of a Nation. This idea of the of the raping and pillaging black. Uh, the super predator black. So it made they, they just completely, and he was a large guy, very Eric Garner, stocky uh, type person. So they take that to discredit him. And now you have the situation right on the heels of that, as if people weren't upset and the fabric of this country wasn't torn apart enough 
Philando Castile, by all metric, was a upstanding member of society. Yeah. And so you couldn't have this mudslinging uh, attack on him. They did it to his girlfriend, who was yeah. driving the car with the four-year-old in the backseat. His girlfriend was no beacon of light for humanity. I mean, there was nothing that... She made some terrible mistakes. I believe she was smoking a blunt in the, in the car with her four-year-old. There and, were two YouTube videos of her smoking a blunt in the car with her four-year-old. I mean, terrible. yeah, she was a shitty person. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that that's... But that does not, again... That does not justify a single thing. Not at all. And and this is, of course, again, like we mentioned earlier, covered on Facebook Live. Castile's life, uh, it was a life of servitude. He helped out many kids of all races, all ethnicities. Uh, he worked, I believe it was a city job. Um, and he did everything right. And you oftentimes hear about um, people in... Uh, in communities that do feel oppressed by the law, when they do do everything right, they still, they still get screwed. And I want to point out this fact. When it comes to uh, the officer that killed Castile, uh, Geronimo Yanez, which is, by the way, don't like his actions, I do love his name. <laughs> uh, Geronimo Yanez is one of my favorite names I've ever heard in my entire life. But you know what? As soon as, this, as, soon as Salamone and Howie Lake II murdered Sterling, two white officers killed a black man. As soon as this man murdered Castile, no mention of race. No. I believe there is a purposeful, there is a purpose behind omitting the fact that he was Hispanic. There was, it is a purposeful uh, uh, tactic by the news media to, first of all, get viewers. That's number one. But the side effect of that, that I, I don't believe they might be nefarious enough to know exactly what they're doing, is to start, a, to, is to continue the racial divide in this nation. Akai Gurley. Was, was killed here um, in, his, in the pink houses here in New York City. And the officer, he was an Asian man. And at no point did they reference the fact that he was an Asian man. It was, it was it, it's very interesting how they will nail home the racial divisions between the whites and the blacks of this country. They love it. They feed off of it. And I think it's on, it is on purpose. They understand it sells papers. They understand it gets viewers. And they know for a fact if we can keep these two members, poor whites and, uh, and, and, and poor lower income blacks, if we can keep them fighting with one another, we will maintain control and we will consistently and constantly have the power and there'll be no threat to overseeding, uh, to, to uh, you know, getting us out of office. Well, what this does when they do this, they are ignoring the larger problem. And not even out of office. I mean, out of power. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're ignoring the larger problem, the actual problem, which the problem, of course, yes, racism does play a part in it. But the actual problem is over-policing. It's not just white cops. Right. It's cops. And, and it's not, and of course, it's not every single cop. The majority of cops, you always have to say it because it is true. And I think people forget this, that the majority of cops are all right. They're fine. They're cops. They they're just doing their job. But uh, the fact that you do have people like, you know, you have the, you know, what happened in the pink houses. You have uh, what happened here with uh, Officer Yanez. You see that it's not just a race problem. It is a, at least yeah. as far as the cops go, it is a race problem towards black people. But it is not necessarily a race problem uh, on you know the part of the police. And, of course, the cops are also out there arresting many uh, different white people as well. More white people are killed by cops every year by, uh, than black people. A lot of people— I mean, not per, uh, ca not per capita. Exactly. I mean, it's and, just—it's uh, because there are more—it's right. like we say on the last podcast. Why are there more white serial killers than black serial killers? Because there are more white people in America than there are black people. And they're very creative. 
<laughs> that's the one thing about white people. Well, I'm not sure if that's entirely true, but I don't want to harp on the police. That was that's that that is that um, side of the story. And now let's go a little bit to the police perspective. Uh, Dallas Police Chief David Brown. Um, he did a as far as all as far as I can tell anyway from obviously watching from afar. He's done a wonderful job of of uh, holding himself. Uh, up to a high standard and presenting the information of what happened in Dallas very rationally and very well. And keep in mind, this will come out this week. The odds of the five officers being buried, probably not high. These officers are still above ground and the amount of mourning is completely, um, it's un, it's, it's immeasurable. Michael Smith, Michael Kroll, Patrick Zemaripa, Brent Thompson, and Lauren Ahrens. So you have the situation where we we live in a militarized civilian society. If you were a police officer, you know, we we look at uh, these cases, specifically Castile. The officer's reaction after the event happened was so dramatic. He was so tense. He was extremely amped. He did not seem in control of his emotions. He was almost crying. He was almost crying. It was an extremely out of... It was it was somebody who should probably put the firearm down. Yeah. You know, it was people talk about um, how you should use guns and how you need to be rational when you have a gun. These officers are making routine uh, traffic stops, which is all that that was. It was a broken taillight for crying out loud. Of course, we have the situation where there was a bank robbery. It was an armed bank robbery. So the person did not know. The officer did not know who this person was that he was pulling over. The amount of tension that the cops are feeling right now during these routine routine traffic stops is real because we have a we have a nation with more guns than people and. It is not going away anytime soon. You know, this is what Barack Obama has said is the greatest flaw of his presidency is that he hasn't been able to do anything to curb the selling and the proliferation. And I use that term in context of the nuclear weapons as well. I think that's the right term. Uh, He's been able to do nothing to curb it. So we have to come to a consensus as a population for what, what kind of police force do we want to have? And the police force, you could argue what comes first. Again, uh, Marcus, I know maybe you think, I'll, I'll take the side on this, that perhaps the militarization of the public came before the militarization of the police. Going back to what I referenced with the Glocks that are now used by the NYPD, previously the six shooters, they confronted Glocks on the street, and they're like, well, we can't go into a fight. You know, we, we have to have a similar style weapon. Uh, so we see cops with AR-15s, and I know AR is, a, is just a, a type, and there's many different, don't yell at me, I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> AR-15 and, and all AR-type weapons. Yeah, I've seen them on the I've seen cops on the streets of New York City right. with uh, with assault rifles, and you have a situation where civilians have assault rifles. I mean, yeah. Hughes, for example, the man who was falsely um, accused of being the Dallas shooter, Mark Hughes. Do you did you see this guy? No, he was the one. Google his name, Marcus. He was the one blasted all over the. Um, the television, he was the one that the Dallas Police Department initially thought was the shooter. He was a black fella. He had an AR with him, and he was wearing camouflage. The The gun was empty, and uh, he gave the gun over to an officer right away. Mm-hmm. And it is his Second Amendment right, I mean, as the law is written in Texas, for him to, to hold that weapon. Yeah. And he's allowed to have it. And, and he's making a good point. He's making, a, you know, uh, he made a good point, whatever that point is, I suppose. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people stretch the law simply so to remind us that we have it yeah and uh, i think that happens a lot of times with these people who are who are holding very large assault rifles they're more making a statement that they can yeah uh, should you i don't know why you would want to 
Why why do you want to accessorize that way? I don't know, which is really what it is. Yeah. Well, I think what the point he was trying to make is that when you have uh, white people doing these same sorts of things where they're carrying the AR-15, the gigantic assault rifles through the street, no one blinks an eye. But when you see a black man doing it, then it is a much larger issue. So you have these situations where the cops are going in to uh, scenarios that they don't know. I mean, if you look at Sterling, he, they, a homeless man called. They, they said this guy had a gun. They don't know what kind of gun. You know, you go to every, every, uh, so many of these, uh, you know, random. If, if you're an officer, you're just going to random homes many times. You don't know what the event is, what what's occurred, who has a gun, who doesn't have a gun. And you do have to react in a very aggressive manner because you don't know what you're about to confront. So I feel for the police when it comes to uh, them having a very difficult job, wanting to go home to their wife and kids, or maybe even their husbands if they're gay. Mm. Uh, that could be. Dare uh, <laughs> see six feet under? Gay cop there. Gay cop there. <laughs> so there, there you go. Um, they just want to go home. They want to mm-hmm. lie in their bed. They want. They want to have a life. They want to. They. And it is a difficult profession because they're some of what their job details are are. Ex- are situations that every rational person would walk away from as quick as possible, Mm. and it is an officer's job to confront. And it is not easy, and especially, again, given the fact that they don't know what that person is holding. I think uh, I, I think one of the big points that people are making on that, though, is that the person is uh, the cop is much more likely to shoot the black man with the gun yes. than the white man with the gun is that they know that they're going when they go into that situation. If it's a white person, they don't necessarily care that they have a gun. Right. You know, it's it's when a blood they go into a situation with a black person. They assume they in other words, they assume that the white person isn't going to pull a gun on them while they assume that the black person person is going to pull a gun on but, and, but even so though is, even yeah. though we all have the same second amendment rights yes. to carry a gun which of course um you know uh Philando, uh castile he did ha- had that right i mean so, he, he actually did have that legally but you can look at some of the rhetoric that is coming from these these groups like mm-hmm. a black lives matter and I do, again I, I think the group is attempting to discuss over policing and uh you know underpay and there's a lot of good tenets to the movement um, and again, um, Johnson had nothing to do with it. Yeah. He, he did not believe the movement went far enough. But you hear some of the rhetoric. And Marcus, you were, you were, you believe earlier in the 60s and, uh, and 70s, you thought the black power movement actually had more heated rhetoric. But you have the situations, and I don't want to get all Bill O'Reilly on it, um, <laughs> but you do have the situations where there are certain chants regarding you know the, uh, the taking of officers' lives, an eye for an eye. My friend Dave, who lives in Minnesota, as a matter of fact, strangely enough, obviously where Castile was killed, strangely enough, he said after the cops were killed in Dallas, it almost felt like there was a pressure release mm-hmm. uh, on the city. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a very bizarre thing for him to say. He was there. I mean, that's what he felt, so I'll take him at his word for it. So there is this idea of eye for an eye. We've been revenged. We've been avenged, and we've got our revenge. Um, But the rhetoric, and especially going back to the election here, what we have with Donald Trump um, and and Hillary's rhetoric is also, I mean, I thought her statements were relatively insane, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, It is... We have to realize in a society that is fractured in some ways, although I do think for the most part we are much more united than people give us credit for, we exploit our differences when they are shown. But for the most part, we sit right, right by each other of different races, different religions, different orientations, different creeds every single day. Yeah. And there's very, very little violence. Most of the violence occurs amongst communities of themselves. You know, you have over the July 4th weekend, sadly enough, again, 40 people shot in Chicago. 
Nobody talks about it because it's just that's just the reality of the world. Yeah. And really, t- people talk about how uh, insane things are now, how bad things are now. Can't imagine what it was like in the 60s. Yeah. You know, you, you can't imagine how violent it was, how divided it was. I mean, right now we've got Donald Trump. They had George Wallace. Well, George Wallace wasn't quite as close to the presidency. <laughs> that is but, that, and, and, that is true. Well, actually, he, wa- he was pretty good. Did he do okay? Go- yeah, he did really well. He almost got the nomination. Ah. He came very, very close. He's not quite as close as Donald Trump, but mm. he was a step behind him. Well, maybe, th- maybe they thought it was the black comedian George Wallace. <laughs> uh, a yeah. strange name. Yeah, and, and you, know, you, had, you know, you had Kent State. You had protesters being sure. murdered. You know, you had, so, you had Watts burning. You know, you had riots. You mm-hmm. had, uh, every day you had 300 American soldiers being killed a day in Vietnam. Right. And all the protests surrounding that, the country was fractured in a way that we cannot imagine. What we have now is imaginary fractures. We have Facebook fights. Mm-hmm. That's what we have. We don't have reality. All of the fights that we have, all of the divisions that we have are illusions that are sold to us on Facebook. That's what they want. And we're doing it to ourselves. Yeah. They want us to fight. They want us to share an article and argue about it on Facebook. You know, they, they want us to spend all our time there, yeah. and none of it matters. None of it's real. My, personally, myself, yeah. I have not been on Facebook since last Monday for yeah. a week. And I how put, do you feel about that? I have lost nothing yeah. and gained quite a bit. Like, I have like lost- when the computer shut off in the movie Wally, and everyone's just like, "Oh my god!" And they're like, "I can't feel my toes. I have type two diabetes. I've got to start working out." I'm calmer. I'm less fearful. Yeah. Like I, I don't walk around with a bunch of nonsense garbling around in the back of my head. I feel safer walking down the street because you don't realize how much fear. Facebook and Twitter yeah. and all this stuff, you don't realize how much fear it excites within you. You but don't realize you, how much worry it yeah. puts into your brain. I agree. If you look at what some of these websites say on all sites, white supremacist sites, black supremacist sites, little person supremacist sites, <laughs> uh, which are all over the place. I mean, you wouldn't believe what they're saying. They, mm-hmm. they don't like me. I hate you. Yeah, I'm, I'm public enemy number one. Uh, if you listen to some of that rhetoric, it is unbelievably heated. And and both sides do uh, listen to the rhetoric, if, especially if you're part of the community that is being attacked. And there is no denying, if, when it comes to minorities, there is really no larger group of minorities than police officers. There's not that many. I don't know the exact number. Um, and so they come together. And one of the great ironies of Dallas is, of course, they had one of the best police departments in the nation. Uh, uh, Chief Brown uh, had um, had his uh, officers really uh, interacting with the community in a great way. They were some of the first to uh, put in some of the Justice Department's philosophies and recommendations after Ferguson. So it's sort of a sad irony that it happened in Dallas, a city that is diverse with a diverse police force that represents the constituents of of, uh, of the area. It is sad that it had to happen. It didn't have to happen. It's sad that it happened there. Yeah. But let's get into a little bit of what happened with Johnson his and his uh, his abilities. Because, again, when you watch this event live, they made it seem as if it was the Flash running from building to building, running from floor to floor, going up and down multiple stairs. Uh, it seemed almost impossible that it was just one man 
but apparently he had taken some courses in doing exactly to perfect the craft of doing exactly what he did. Well, he was in the military, yes, but the majority of his training came from a private self-defense school that teaches firearm tactics, including shooting on the move. This is Mm. what the story says. A person who said he was in charge of the organization told AP that Johnson received instruction at the Academy of Combative Warrior Arts in the Dallas suburb of Richardson about two years ago. The man refused to answer additional questions and would not give his name. The Academy website refers to one of its courses as a quote-unquote tactical applications program. This is the description of that program. Yes, It says, quote, Reality is highly dynamic. You will be drawing your firearm, moving, shooting on the move, fixing malfunctions, etc., all under high levels of stress. Most people never get to train these skills, as they are not typically allowed on the static gun range. The TAP training includes shooting from different positions, drawing under stress, and drawing from concealment. He was taught how to do this. I mean, this is like the 9-11 terrorists being taught how to fly in Florida. And um, Umshinrikyo terrorists as well being taught (laughs) how to fly in Florida. Yeah. It is interesting how somebody like this could go through a program like that and not be on any sort of watch list whatsoever. You do wonder what is... I I don't think he should be. Like I think we have, I think we have a yeah. right to be able to do things like this. Like I, I think that I yeah. think, yeah, I think we have a to- as an American, he has a right to do this without being put on some sort of watch list. But it is indicative yeah. of American culture right now that places like this exist. Right, and I think that's the bigger problem here is that a place like this exists. There are so many things in this country that should be allowed to exist that don't. Right. And so the question is, why is this a pervasive problem in the nation right now? I hate the term lone wolf because I think usually it applies to people who are inspired or um, in cahoots with other groups of people that they uh, that they rationalize their ideas with. But in this situation, it truly does seem to be a person who acted alone. And why? Why did he feel as if he had the right to do this? I mean, obviously, he was laughing. He was taunting the cops. He was singing. I mean, it probably it sounds like a hell of a show uh, if it wasn't under such a if it wasn't in such a sad, sad uh, theater. He, he was writing the, the initials RB and blood on the walls. It was yeah. very cinematic. And so you wonder, is it a, is it a side effect of a society now that is so it benefits you. You can be rewarded for isolationist thinking. You can be. Uh, you can. You can have. He didn't have a manifesto per se. Uh, we covered manifestos in a great last podcast on the left episode. Check those out. He didn't have a manifesto per se, but he definitely had a Facebook page that allowed us to see the kind of person that he was, and he was out there publicly stating his exact motive, his exact mission, and the fact that no one took that. Seriously, no one thought that that could manifest itself in reality is one of the dangers of social media because for some reason, because of the buffer, people see what people are on online and then they know for a fact they have to be different in reality. But he was able to take his online persona and he brought it into real life, almost like when you grab Freddy Krueger in your nightmare. Yeah. And you bring him into bed with you. You know, he was able to fulfill the prophecy that he so proudly spoke about on his Facebook page. And you wonder, we talk about serial killers all the time on last podcast. And you wonder, is that part of the escalation? 
for these for these shooters? Did he feel like, oh my God, I've been talking about this for so many years, and wasn't that long? It was around 16 months ago. That's what his relatives say. That's when he started sort of change. And he began to really, in correlation with Garner and a lot of these other very publicized um, police killings, you wonder if it was a long escalation to finally come into terms with the idea that he's going to do it and then doing it. Does social media give him... Does it? I mean, you know what I'm saying, Marcus? Yeah, because I know. Gets, yeah, I know gets, exactly yeah. what you're saying, and uh, I, I think, you know, it's a very interesting question, and it's a, it's because you know, going back, we talked about on the manifestos episode, you know, Elliot Roger, sure, uh, was somebody who posted things again and again that yeah. escalated on its own, uh, and. I don't know if these guys are not getting any sort of confirmation. I think they're just kind of throwing it out there, and there's no nobody is is talking to them about it. No one's saying like, "Yeah, dude, you're right." And so eventually, it might be that that comes out. What surprises me here is that nobody has mentioned Christopher Dorner yet. Sure, and this is very similar. Right. Uh, of course, Christopher Dorner was a former LAPD yeah. officer who uh, went on a killing spree to, as he said, uh, bring to light racial disparities in the LAPD. Right. Uh, and this guy is, even though he isn't a police officer, it's very similar. And if you want to talk about inspiration, I'm willing to bet this guy had a poster of Christopher Dorner on his wall. And if you do know someone with a poster of Christopher Dorner on the wall, <laughs> send it to us. It actually sounds like a pretty cool poster. Metaphorically, a poker, a of poster course. of Christopher or, uh, of Christopher Garner. Yeah, but yeah. but but these these people, you know, I'm not sure if it is. You know, I don't know what the di- what what the difference is between writing it down in a notebook and writing it down on Facebook. Is. Well, you know, I mean, and I and I wrote this down. You do have the feeling as if the parents have left the kitchen. And it's just the kids in there, and they're just eating everything that they want. Yeah. There, is, there seems to be no control anymore. And you can argue that government control or uh, you know, the idea of having people in power uh, dictate what you should do is wrong. And there's certainly a lot of incidents uh, in human history where, they're, uh, where, they, where they really ruined um, what, uh, what government should do. But now that we have a time where there are no more adults in the room, yeah. you have this guy who was just feeding his own nonsense – over and over and over again. He fuels his own philosophy, agrees with himself, and doubles down every single day. Um, and that is really where I think we have some massive questions as a society that we're going to have to start asking ourselves and finding the proper answers without losing our self-identity, our freedoms, and what it means to be American. Uh, just lastly, with the robot situation, uh, it's, an, it's a fascinating precedent, and I think we have to... Um, uh, give credit to uh, Chief Brown. I, I I don't think he had any other option. Yeah. Uh, in that situation, personally, I don't think there's any difference between putting in the robot and having a sniper put a bullet through. There's that? not much, and it is, it is an extension of the United States drone program that we've now had under Obama for eight years. Um, you know, the the amounts of casualties overseas are huge. Many many of them innocent civilians, and every technology that we use on the foreign battlefield always comes back home again look no further than the early 90s uh, with the militarization of our police so we have a lot of questions to answer uh, we have a lot of questions to ask number one a lot of questions to answer and we cannot do it if we continue to allow the um, powers that be 
to divide us. We have to come together and realize the amount of violence amongst different populations, amongst people of different classes and creeds is so small. You know, the average officer in, uh, in, in a rural setting, 95% of them do not get rid of, do not fire a gun their entire time on, on the force. Uh, no, 95% of officers in urban settings do not. 98% in rural settings do not. Yeah. So this whole idea even of just like police are shooting everyone, it's not true. Uh, but obviously we need to address the issues, the, the, the times that it does happen. We need to take that very seriously. And the idea that there is a bubbling race war. These social media sites, it is the minority in the minority. It is not at all accurate to describe the vast majority of Americans in this country. No other nation. 50 state union. You know, there was a great map put, put on social media with um, uh, with um, different countries put into the United States. We are huge. People don't understand that the idea of a 50-state union, the size of this nation is so huge. The fact that it exists is phenomenal. Yeah. No one thought that this could happen. And that's, of course, why I believe the federal government might not be the best answer to a lot of our problems because it is so large. All right, Gary, settle down. With different... <laughs> With different populations that have different needs. But anyway, um, so thank you guys so much for listening. I believe we covered it all, right, Marcus? I or think from so. the amount of knowledge that we have on the issue. I, the amount of knowledge that we have, but I would argue that uh, we not only have to look at where we want to be as Americans, we want to look at where we want to be as humans. Yeah. Uh, because the way everything's going right now, it's not just us, man. This whole, the internet is changing what it means to be a human and how we interact with each other. And it's, yeah. uh, I don't know. We're just going to have to evolve with it. I don't know if, I, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to go. But can't uh, stress it it's, yeah. it's fast. It's fascinating to watch and terrifying at the same yeah. time. Can't stress it enough. Internet interaction is human interaction. If you wouldn't say it through their face to a person's face, do not say it online. Yeah. Oh God, no. Um, speaking of which, go to our Facebook page. <laughs> uh, check out the Able Against Top Hat Facebook page for fun conversations. Every t- ever, everyone's relatively polite, and when they fight, it's kind of fun, too. Uh, find Marcus Parks on Twitter at Marcus Parks and on Instagram at Marcus Parks. I'm on Instagram at BenKissel1, and I mostly do Twitter, so follow me there at BenKissel. And I want to thank you guys so much for following um, and rating us and reviewing us on iTunes. We're on the news and noteworthy site. We have been in the top 150 now consistently, usually the top 100, and we are so close to beating Glenn Beck. Get there. We are so close. He's always hovering around 42. So if we can just get in the 40s, <laughs> we beat Glenn Beck, and then we'll go on to our next uh, next target after that. Um, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love you, and we'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.